Turn around and greet four or five people. Welcome them, welcome them in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Remain standing and pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we are able to come here today. Lord, we are still in the middle of this season of Advent, where, God, we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. And, Father, I thank you so much for all the family celebrations that will go on, all the community celebrations that are happening. God, we thank you that there is a festive atmosphere that goes on this time of year. But God, we pray that Jesus would not get lost in the middle of the celebration. That he would truly be the center of our great time that we have this time of year. And Father, we are reminded that Advent is not just about the first time that Jesus came to this earth, but the fact that he is returning again one day. God, I know that there are people this time of year who are missing loved ones who th that have passed on. There are people this time of year that have may, may have had some sort of heartbreak or tragedy go on in their family. And God, as it is a time of light, we also know that there is darkness that tries to creep in on the edges of our soul. But God, I pray that you would point them to the fact that one day Jesus is going to set everything right. We live right now in a time of already. Jesus has already come. He has already done his work. He's already died on the cross and was raised again on the third day. But God, at the same time that we live in the time of already, we live in the time of not yet. Not yet do we see the fullness of his kingdom. Not yet do we see him and know him as we are known. And so, God, we look forward to that day. Remind us of that day. Today we pray. Father, I pray you would be in the middle of our worship. I pray that the Holy Spirit would abide in this place that our hearts would be open, that we would be receptive to what the Spirit is saying to His church. Lord, we love you. We praise you for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus yesterday as we gave out those box meals, God. And I pray that that wouldn't be a one-time-a-year thing where we are concerned about the least of these. But, God, we would care every day. We would search every day for a way to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Thank you that although we're an unworthy people, you find us worthy of that. God, we love you and praise you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. You may be seated. Thank you all so much for showing up today. We got a week off last week, and I hope you enjoyed the snow and, uh, and had a good time with all of that. And I know most of the kids have been off all week, but... My kids are homeschool kids, so they still had to do some school this week, and they're not real happy about that. Uh, but anyway, I hope you guys had a great time together as family. Um, missed you guys last week. Thank you to those of you that tuned in to the devotional that I put online, that I put out on Facebook, and thank you guys for supporting that. We'll always try to do something like that if we ever have to miss church on Sunday morning for one reason or another. Well, J Pastor Jason did a great job covering the box meals and, and that giveaway, and I thought that was a great success yesterday. And yes, it's always very gripping to see people who, just a box with a ham and some 
green beans and some potatoes and that sort of thing seems to mean so much to them. And we just know that there are a lot of folks that are struggling. I know yesterday that there was a young man in line that I actually grew up with. And uh, we actually went to school together when I was a kid. I actually went over to his house and hung out some. And he was in line yesterday. And you just think it's the grace of God that keeps us from being in that same situation. And so pray for folks like that during this time of year. Um, pray that God will work in their lives and provide for them. But we had a great opportunity. And uh, I'd like to thank Katrina Floyd. She does most of the work on heading all that up. We also have local businesses that support that cause, and so we're just so thankful to, to them for helping us to support and uh, to, to minister to this community. Next week, Pastor Jason alluded to it, and we were going to have a couple of weeks to tell you guys about this, and then the snow hit, so we really only have one week to tell you about this. And this is one of those things, we're doing something new this year, we've never done this before. Uh, by the way, the can we were going to have a candlelight service the Sunday before Christmas because of the snow. We're not going to be able to do that. But we are doing our Christmas stewardship offering. But this year, it's totally different than we have ever done it before. And I don't know, when there's something new, I get excited about it, but I also get a little bit of, of nervousness about it because I'm not sure how it's going to go. And a lot of that depends on you guys. If you guys participate, I think this is going to be an amazing move of God. And if you don't participate, I, I think this may be a flop and we never do it again. So it's up to you. No pressure. No pressure. But next week we are doing our Christmas stewardship offering. But it is going to be called A Journey to the Manger. And we're actually going to have a manger set up in the front. And this was not my idea. This was started by a Wesleyan pastor in the Midwest many years ago. He started this with his church. And it was such a blessing that he did it for many years, actually decades within his church. But we're going to have a manger set up, and if you want to give a monetary gift as part of this stewardship offering, you are certainly welcome to do that. I know a lot of people at Christmas like to give a little bit extra if they believe that God has blessed them throughout the year. They like to give a little bit extra to God's people, to God's house, and so if you want to do that, you are certainly welcome to do that and give a stewardship offering here at the end of the year. But that's not the only thing that you can bring to the manger next week. Almost, it's going to be almost like how we do communion, how we call you up by sections, how we call you to come to the Lord's table. You're going to be able to come up here, and I've heard of people before who maybe were struggling with something. Maybe it's something like smoking. Maybe it's some other addiction. I've actually heard of some people coming up and, and putting a pack of cigarettes in the manger saying, Lord, I'm putting that in your hands. I want to give this up. I want to be rid of this habit. And so it could be something like that that you're surrendering and you're giving up. And by the way, if you're like, you know what, I don't want everybody to know that, you, you can feel perfectly welcome to wrap it or cover it up in some way. You know, we don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you feel like you need to do that, you're certainly welcome to do that. Some people choose to maybe write a card or letter to Jesus Christ and just thank him for all that he's done in their lives. I don't know if you've ever done that before, if you've ever written a letter to God or written something to God, but that can be quite a moving experience and quite a good experience for you. So you could do something like that. Really anything that God lays on your heart to bring to the manger, but basically you're saying, God, I'm surrendering this. God, I'm giving this. God, I'm thanking you for this. It can look a lot of different ways. So come prepared. We need you to come prepared next week, and we know that we may have somebody here next week who's never been to our church before and isn't aware of what's going on, and we'll have preparations made where they can participate as well. 
But I want you to think about it, and I want you to pray about it this week. God, what do you want me to surrender? What do you want me to give? God, what do you want me to bring during this special offering, this special time? And that's going to happen next week. I truly believe that God is going to do something very powerful during that time. So think about that, pray about that, come prepared next week, and that will actually take part at the end of our service. And uh, I believe we're just going to sit back and watch God move on that. That makes sense? If you have any questions about it, you can definitely talk to me later, ask me more questions about that. But I believe God is going to do something great. Well, we're in this series called The Heart of Christmas, last series of the year. I had planned next year to preach through the book of Hebrews. That, that was my plan. I've done a couple of book studies uh, over the last two years, and that was really where I was thinking that God was leading me. But over the last few weeks, God has actually led me to the idea of basically saying for 2019, if you were a baby Christian, if you were a brand new Christian, what are the things that you would need to know to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ? And so we're looking at 52 weeks of teaching on very basic Christianity, basic understanding. And you say, well, Brent, I've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years. But sometimes God can remind us of things that we have forgotten, or sometimes there's things that we have missed that God wants to bring us back around to. And so that's what we're looking at for 2019. Uh, the first series of the year that we're going to do is actually going to be called Why I Believe. And I'm going to really lay out some basics of why I believe in God, why I believe in Jesus Christ, why I believe in the Holy Spirit, why I believe in heaven and hell, things like that. We're going to give you good reasons for why to believe in those things. It's not enough anymore just to say, I believe, and that settles it. We need to know why we believe. And so we're going to have series like that throughout the year. But this is the last series of the year. It is called The Heart of Christmas. And what we've been looking at is some of the virtues that are inherent in Christianity, some of the virtues that are inherent in the Christmas season. The scripture for this series is from the book of Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 23, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 through 24. And I want to read that scripture to you one more time. God's word says, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Did you notice a pattern in there? Did you notice a word that was repeated? Love is said several times. All the other virtues that are mentioned are mentioned once. Grace and peace and faith, they're all mentioned one time, but love was mentioned three times in that scripture. That tells us something, doesn't it? The heart of our faith, the heart of what we believe, the heart of God is a heart of love. In fact, the first point I want to make to you this morning is that love is indispensable to Christians. You cannot be a Christian without love. You cannot be a Christian without the love of God. And I understand in our culture we have twisted the idea of love. The idea of love that we have in our culture has a lot more to do with self and our desires and what we want to do than it does with God and other people. But God's love is always about God and other people, loving other people as we love ourselves. And so even though the world has it twisted, that doesn't mean that God has it twisted. God has a beautiful, pure love that he wants to pour into our hearts and let that spread to other people. So I did just a real quick word study this week on what love means. Uh, for the Christians, some of the things the Bible says about love and why it's indispensable to Christians. The first thing the New Testament tells us is that God is love, or the first thing that I want to point out. It simply says God is love. There's only three nouns used of God in the New Testament. 
They're all the others are adjectives that describe him. Love, life, and light. The three L's. Love, life, and light. God is those three things. Everything else is a descriptor of him, but not a noun that's attached to him. God is love. Aren't you glad that God is love? He doesn't have to be, you know. He's God. He can be any way that he wants to be. God could be hateful. God could be angry. God could be judgmental. But God in his primary characteristic is love. We serve a God of love. Jesus himself told us that the two greatest commandments a Christian can keep are to love God and to love other people. Love God and love other people. He also said that all men will know who we are and that we are his disciples by how we love one another. I'm reading a book right now called Letters to the Church by a guy named Francis Chan. Some of you may know Pastor Francis Chan. He started a uh, mega church out in California, and as his church was growing and things were going real well, he decided to leave his mega church because he said there's something missing. There's something that's not going on right here. There's something more. And one of the things he said was in his church, he did not notice that people loved each other any better than maybe people who knew each other through a gym or people who knew each other through work or whatever. There wasn't a different love. And he talks about how God's people and God's church are supposed to be marked by a unique love, a love that you don't see anywhere else, a care and a compassion that you don't see anywhere else. And he did not see that within his church, and that's one of the reasons he handed his church off to other people and started to minister in different ways. We're supposed to love each other deeply. We're supposed to care about each other. We're supposed to forgive each other when we wrong each other. We're supposed to have a deep and abiding love for the body of Christ. Each one of you that knows Jesus, you're part of the body of Christ. You're supposed to love each other deeply, forgive each other's sins, forgive when we do each other wrong, and move on in the love of God. And a lot of times that's easier. I understand it's easier said than done. But God told us through his word that that's how people would know that we are Christians is how we love one another. Paul said that love is greater than either faith or hope. And he also said that love never fails. It's amazing to me that the Bible tells us if we have faith like a mustard seed, that faith can move mountains, and yet love is greater than that. Love is greater than faith. Faith is a deep and strong thing, but love is greater than that. And true love, God's love, never fails. God's word tells us as Christians, we're supposed to love so strongly that we even love our enemies. Confession, anybody out there besides me struggle with loving your enemies? Yeah, sometimes I'd like to love them upside their head. You know what I mean? I mean, they just, uh, it's not easy to love people who are coming at you and trying to tear you down and saying bad things about you and taking you wrong intentionally. It's not always easy, but God's word, Jesus told us we're supposed to love even our enemies. I mean, the one, the founder of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith was dying on a cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He loved his enemies even as they were killing him. Wow, that's an amazing love. That's a deep love, and that's what God calls us to do. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might have everlasting life. It's tough to love the world. When you look around at this world and you take a good assessment of this world and where it is and what it's done, it's tough to love this world. Sometimes this world gets on my nerves. Sometimes this world gets me to a place where I'm like, man, there is just nothing good. There's nothing good around us. There's nothing good that's happening. But God tells us that, God, that Jesus came because God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5 tells us that God showed us that he loved us in the, 
yet that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Like I told you a couple of weeks ago, a young lady that I led to the Lord a couple of weeks ago said, I can't get saved yet because I've still got things to work on. But praise God, that's not how it works. Praise God, God loves us even while we're sinners. Even while we're sinners, Jesus gave his life for us. He knows everything about us, our every crooked and evil thought, our every bad action and deed, and yet God still loves us enough that he gave his only begotten son. He let Jesus die for us on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 16 tells us whatever we do is to be done in love. We actually have a sign that says that. We bought it down at Hobby Lobby. You can get everything at Hobby Lobby for decorating your house, right? We've got a sign above our door that says, whatever you do, do it in love. And so when the kids are angry at each other and fussing over the iPad or whatever, you know, point up that sign. Hey, guys, whatever we do, we're supposed to do in love. When my wife understands my good and perfect and pure intentions sometimes, you know, I, and she's not always happy. Hey, hey, darling, look, it says whatever we do, we're supposed to, you know, it's probably my fault anyway. If it's not my fault, it's still my fault, right, guys? You know how that is? Whatever we do, we do in love. Whatever we do, we're supposed to. So the Bible, what I'm trying to get at is it's indispensable to the Christian life that we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another deeper, deeply. We're supposed to care about one another. Here's the thing about love, though. I can describe love to you. I can break it down doctrinally. I can give you a theology of love all day long, and it probably won't help you. Because love, it really, in its purest form, is an action. Love is something that we do. It's not something that we think. It's not something that we feel. In its purest form, love is something that we act out. It's something that we do in our lives. And so examples of love are really handy. Examples of love really help us to understand what love is all about and how we can love as children of God. And I think around the Christmas around Christmas time one of the greatest stories of love that sometimes we don't talk about is Joseph the carpenter. Joseph who was Jesus's earthly father. We don't talk about him. He doesn't always get the press. It's usually Jesus and Mary, right? It's the it's the wise men, it's the stars, but Joseph is an amazing amazing character in this story. And he was able to love deeply. He was able to love Jesus and Mary with God's love. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about him today, about how he was a great example of love from one to another and love for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take three parts of Joseph's story. I'm going to take three parts of the love chapter and the description of love there and kind of mesh them together and encourage you to live like that. Is that okay? And after that, I'll let you go and you do your, your Christ, early Christmas lunch or whatever you're doing today. We'll let you get out of here. But I want to encourage you to love like God loved through Joseph. So let me give you three parts of the way that Joseph loved and the power that was behind that. The first one, number one, is love is kind. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Kindness is a great quality. Kindness is a tough quality to emulate, but kindness is a great quality. At the beginning of the Christmas story, we find out Joseph was betrothed to Mary. It worked a little bit different in a Jewish household. In a Jewish household, they would get engaged, basically, and they would have a year until while, while the man would go and he would prepare the household, he would prepare the house where the woman, where the bride would come in to the home and be part of the household. And so they had a year there where they had not consummated the marriage, but they, they were still basically legally, religiously, in every other way. They were husband and wife, except the, the husband had not taken the wife into the home yet. 
And so during that time, during the time of betrothal, from the time that Joseph was pledged to Mary to the time he was going to bring her into his house, he found out that Mary was expecting, that Mary was going to have a child, and the child was not his. Now, I don't think any guy wants to get that news. Any guy w would want to, to hear that that's what's going on with a woman that he's basically engaged to, that basically is his wife. During that year-long period, the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary and said, you will have a child through the Holy Spirit, and his name will be Jesus. Now, I had to share this with you. This isn't really a point for my sermon or anything. It was just as I was studying, something kind of dawned on me that had never dawned on me before. You ever have that with the Bible? You ever have that when you're studying God's Word and you're like, wow, I that's there, but I never saw that before. I was reading the story about uh, Gabriel appearing to Mary, and I was reading the story about how he told her that Jesus would be born to her. And it says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and so this child will be called the Son of God. And I never noticed this before, but the Holy Spirit in the very beginning, if you look at back at Genesis, at the very beginning of the creation story, the earth is there and it's formless and it's void and it's watery and it's just like the earth is a mess. And then the Bible says that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, hovers above the face of the waters. And then all of a sudden creation starts to happen, life starts to happen. But the very first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of this earth that's formless and void and watery is light happens. Light comes into this world. Light breaks through because of the Holy Spirit. And I never noticed that before, but in Genesis chapter 1, at the very beginning, there's God's Spirit hovering over this earth, and light breaks through, and life is born. And then you go, go over to Luke chapter 1, and you find out that there is uh, God's Spirit above, overshadowing Mary, hovering above Mary in a sense, and all of a sudden the light of the world is born in her. That's some deep stuff. That's an amazing connection from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit always brings light. His Holy Spirit always brings life. It happened for this world and then it happened again because Jesus was the first part of a new creation. I'm glad that I get to be part of that creation. I'm glad that I get invited to be part of that new creation that came when Jesus came into this world. That's not a big part of my sermon. I just thought, that's something cool. That's something I never noticed before. Look, you can study the Bible for 100 years. You can study the Bible for 1,000 years. And God's word is so rich and so deep, you're still going to see new things. He's still going to teach you things that you have never seen before. But Mary finds out she's going to have this child. She goes and spends three months at her cousin Elizabeth's house. And then she comes back. And when she comes back, it's probably pretty apparent that she's with child. It's probably, she, she's by now showing that she's with child. And so Joseph has a decision to make. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expo expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Or some translations say to put her away quietly. You do realize that under Jewish law, because it would have been adultery, Joseph could have had Mary stoned to death. If he had prosecuted it to the full extent of the law, he could have had her killed for dishonoring him, dishonoring his family name. But Joseph was a righteous man, and he did not want to dis, uh, expose her to public disgrace. Instead, he decides to break it off pr privately and quietly. Privately and quietly, man, that's not how we roll anymore, is it? 
Boy, somebody does us wrong. We got social media. Let's blast them. We won't put their name in there, but let's blast it out on social media. Let's let's let everybody know. Let everybody know what they think. At least let them know what we think, right? We don't do the whole privately, quietly thing. But a lot of times that's the kindness of God. That's the love of God is that even if somebody has wronged us, we do it quietly. Even if somebody has, has wronged us, we do something on the low level and not the high level. We don't just put it all out there. Joseph was a righteous man, and he said, you know what, I'm going to be kind to Mary. He didn't know. At this point, Joseph did not know that nobody had really wronged him. But it seemed like he had been wronged. But even in the midst of him being wronged, he thought more about Mary than he thought about himself. That's the love of God. Even though we, lo- even though we wronged God, he loved us enough that he thought more about us than he thought about himself so much that he sent his only son to die for us. I can, make a, I can make a pretty good wager that during this Christmas season, somebody's going to wrong you. During this Christmas season, somebody's going to make you mad. During this Christmas season, it might be a family member. It might be that person that, that as you're going down the road, they cut you off. They cut in front of you. Somebody is going to make you mad during this Christmas season. The question is, how are you going to act toward them? Are you going to retaliate? Are you going to be high level? Are you going to, are you going to just blast, it, blast them out right there? Or are you going to show them the love and the kindness of God? I would encourage you to be like Joseph. I would encourage you to be like one who says, you know what, I'm going to handle this in the kindest way possible. I'm going to handle this in a way where I'm considering other people and not just myself. That's the first way that Joseph showed love in this story. The second thing that the Bible tells us, and it tells us several things in 1 Corinthians 13, but the second thing I want to highlight is that love rejoices with the truth. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. By the way, isn't God good? He didn't let him keep wondering. He, didn't let, he, he removed all doubt and he said, look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is, Mary has done you no wrong. This is of God. This is something that God is doing, and you don't have to keep wondering that. Verse 21 says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Stop right there. That's pretty important. You are to give him the name Jesus. Basically what God was saying, because in the Jewish household, the father was the typical one that named the children. Basically, God was saying, hey, Joseph, I need you to adopt my son. What a privilege. What an amazing honor. God was saying, Joseph, you name him. Joseph, you raise him. Joseph, you take him to your heart as a son, and you be there for my son in this world. It takes a real man to do that. It takes a strong man to do that, and God knew that Joseph would be able to do it. God invited him to name his son and to raise his son. And you know what? Joseph still could have said, God, you didn't ask me about all this. God, this was not my plan. I mean, me and Mary were, were engaged, and we're going to have a family, and, and, and we had life all planned out. God, you didn't ask me about this. God, why didn't you ask me about this first? He could have had that sort of attitude. Joseph did not have that attitude. The attitude that Joseph had was kind of the same attitude that Mary had when she found out from the angel Gabriel, let it be to me as you have said. Let your word come true to me, and I'm going to honor your word. Joseph rejoiced with the truth. This morning I've asked one of our worship team members, as I was thinking about this, 
Y'all, I've been around for a while now, and this is kind of an old country song that came to my mind. A lot of times when I'm preparing sermons, songs come to my mind, but there's an old country song by Tricia Yearwood that as I was preparing this sermon, especially this part of it about Joseph and how he stepped up to be Jesus' earthly father, this song came to mind. And so we've asked one of our worship team members to perform it for you this morning and just let it give you some insight into how Joseph loved Jesus and Joseph loved Mary even when he didn't have to. Let's listen to this song together this morning. She was his wife, and they'd one way. 
Great job, Megan. Thank you for, for that song. Um, I think often about Joseph and Mary. What an honor to be the ones that God handpicked because the Bible tells us that when the fullness have, of time had come, God brought forth his son into the world. God handpicked Joseph and Mary. He picked the time. He picked the place. He picked the circumstance for his son Jesus to come into this world. What an honor that would be to be chosen to be the mother and the earthly father of the Savior of the entire world. And Joseph stepped up. He rejoiced in the truth. He, sometimes truth is tough to hear, y'all. Truth is not popular. A lot of times when we preach the truth, people have a problem with us preaching the truth. All they want to hear is the grace side of things. But sometimes we need the truth applied to our life. And I pray that during this Christmas season, God would reveal to you if there's anything in your life, if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to him, I pray that he would reveal that to us and we would rejoice in that truth. We would not fight against it, but instead we would submit to it and say, you know what, God, I want to repent of that. I want to be restored. I want to have the joy of my salvation restored to me. And I hope that we will rejoice in the truth as Jesus or as Joseph rejoiced in the truth that Jesus was to be his earthly son. And God blessed uh, that family. Last point about love and how Joseph gives us an example of love. Number three, love always protects. Love always protects. In the Catholic Church, they actually consider Joseph the patron saint of protection, uh, one that protects the church, actually the protector of the church. There's a painting, yep, I'm glad it's up there, painting of the flight into Egypt. We know from God's word that to protect Jesus, Joseph actually, because he was warned in another dream, actually took Mary and took Jesus, and they went to Egypt because King Herod wanted to destroy the holy child that had been born. He wanted to destroy Jesus. He wanted to destroy the Savior of the world. How many of you know that if there's something good, we have an enemy out there who always wants to destroy it? If you have a marriage that's good, we have an enemy who's always out there who wants to destroy that marriage. If you have children that are good, there's an enemy out there who always wants to destroy those children. If you have a church that is strong, there's an enemy that's out there who always wants to destroy that church. We have one who hates our soul. He hates the good things that God wants to do in us. And so he will come on the attack. And so part of love is actually protecting what is good. Protecting what is good. I always joke about my oldest son, Aiden. I say that he's a sheepdog. He's kind of like me. He, he's, he's a lot like me. He's a big boy. He likes to protect his family, though. He worries about his younger siblings. Even if he gets in fusses with them, he still worries and wants to protect and wants to take care of his younger siblings because God has put in there in him a real sense of protection of his family, and I'm very proud to see that in my son. That's part of what love is. Fathers, husbands, you're supposed to protect your marriage. You're supposed to protect your family. There's an enemy out there who wants to destroy it. You're supposed to protect it. Those of us who are in church leadership, we're supposed to protect the church. 
I can tell you one thing. Everybody in the world is welcome to come and worship in this church. And I don't care your ethnicity. I don't care your background. I don't care what kind of sin you've been caught in, up in. You're welcome to come and you're welcome to worship at this church. But if you come with evil intention, I will run you out of here. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. Because love always protects. Just as Joseph protected Jesus from King Herod, we are supposed to protect what is good. By the way, I think we have a nation that God has blessed us with. I believe we are blessed to live in this nation, a nation that's still free. We still have freedom of speech. We still have other things, that, that freedom of religion that God has blessed us with. And I believe as citizens, we're supposed to protect that. I believe God calls us to do that, protect what is good. That is part of being a loving person. I think we've lost that. We're so nice and we're so sweet in our day and time that we've lost a lot of the fact that if you really love something, you want to protect it. If you really love something, you want to keep the enemy from coming in and destroying it. If you look at this picture, you can see that there, I guess you can see there from where you're sitting, that Mary is actually carrying the infant Jesus, the baby Jesus. She's carrying the Savior of the world. She's carrying the Messiah. She's carrying the one who, who will actually bring God and man back together for the first time since the fall. And she's carrying the most important thing in the world at that time. In fact, the most important thing that's ever been in this world. And we don't physically carry Jesus like Mary is carrying Jesus in that picture. And we don't physically oversee Jesus like Joseph is overseeing Jesus in this picture. But if you're a Christian, if you know God, if you know Jesus Christ, you carry him within you. Through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is within you, and you carry him and you carry his name. And we're supposed to protect him and we're supposed to protect his name. And part of the way we do that is by our actions. If our actions are not pleasing to God, if our actions bring defamation on the name of Jesus Christ, then we actually do injury to our Savior. We actually do injury to the kingdom to which he has called us to be part. But if we're good, if we're loving, if we're kind, if we're forbearing, if we're all the, if we're merciful, if we're all these things, we actually protect the name of Jesus Christ through our actions. I saw somebody who was actually a relative of mine, a distant relative of mine. We, we probably only see them about once a year at our family reunion in January. But they had put a post yesterday as we were talking about giving out the box meals and trying to love this community. They had put a post online and they said, I love Rushwood Church. That's pretty interesting because they had never been to a service at Rushwood Church that I know of. They may have watched one online. All they've seen, and they even live in a different state, but from afar they see that we are trying to protect the name of Jesus Christ by loving people, by loving the community, by making much of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. And as I said earlier, I'm, I'm sure during this Christmas season, with all the craziness that's going on, with all the traffic, by the way, I'm about ready for them to get this bypass finished around Ashboro. Man, it should not take you 15 minutes to get through Ashboro from one side. I mean, it's just Ashboro. But anyway, uh, there's all this traffic out there. There's all this stuff going on. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for us to act in a way that does not bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. But we need to choose what is right. At your, at your family get-togethers as the year is going on, as the year is concluding, you're going to have opportunity. You might be the only light in your family. Or you might be the strongest light in your family. Don't go in there and join in with everybody else if there's part of your family that doesn't know God and they're not acting right. Instead, bring something different. Be salt and light in your family celebrations. As you go throughout the community 
as you go finish up shopping, as you do whatever you're going to be doing over the next few days, make sure that you glorify God and you protect Jesus by how you act. I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. We have to protect his name. We have to protect who he is by the way we act and by the way we love people. And that is part of loving people and that is part of loving God. Well, all the good things, we talked about some of the good things in Joseph. All the good things in Joseph as a father are just really a reflection of God as a father and how good God is as a father. And so we thought that it might be appropriate at the end of this service today to think a little bit about how God is our good father, how he loves us, how he protects us, how he keeps us, how God is always there for us, and God is the great father of this world. And I'm so glad I know him. Are you? Are you glad that you know him? And are you glad that you have a relationship with God the Father? I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to remind you one more time. Again, next week, we will have the Journey to the Manger offering. I want you to really think about this, pray about this. I know there's a lot going on at Christmas season. I know that you're busy, but I want you to think about this. Ask God what he would have you do to participate in this offering, and so it might be a blessing to you and a blessing to this church. But the worship team is going to lead us in one final song today. Yes, we're going to sing that God is a good, good father. And I want you to sing it with your heart, and I want you to think about it in a new way. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today.
we give you thanks that you are good. We give you thanks that you love us. Father, when we were dead in sins and trespasses, you still sent Jesus Christ into this world to be an offering, to be a sacrifice for our sin, that we might be able to reconnect with you, God, and to spend eternity with you. We thank you that this season is about that, and we pray that you would remind us of that, God. Father, as we leave this place, I pray that we would be good witnesses, that we would take every opportunity to bring glory to your name. Father, when we are tempted to act in our own flesh, I pray that we would instead submit to your Holy Spirit. God, that we would be those that tell people about how good you are. Father, thank you for meeting with us this morning. I pray, God, that you would speak to us during this week. And, God, you would lay on our hearts what we need to do about this offering next week, this journey to the manger, God. I pray that you would be in that in an amazing an amazing way, and we believe that you're going to. Father, we love you. Thank you for being a good, good father over us. It's in Jesus' name we pray everything that we've prayed because he's the one that loved us enough to give himself for us. Amen. Love you guys. I hope you'll come Christmas caroling with us Wednesday night. If not, we'll see you next Sunday morning. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week. It wasn't his child.